0: The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is, hi, Mike Z is, hi, Mike Z is, the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and today's guest on the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast is Jeff Schultz. And Jeff was recently in the news for changing jobs. And if you get into the news just for changing jobs, that must mean that you're a big-time player or a serious free agent pickup. If I go with the sports analogy, Jeff has an illustrious high finance and legal background and most recently was general counsel for navy capital one of the larger cannabis investment funds in the country and recently went back to private practice as an attorney and jeff thank you for being here well thank you for having me i really appreciate
1: it um it's great great to talk to you again in, uh, in a bit of a more intimate forum it's uh, fantastic i'm looking forward to it and-
0: to kick off i'm curious and i'm sure for most of the the listeners here they don't have the experience of working with some of the biggest cannabis investors and companies in the industry and mm-hmm. so i'm wondering what's it like to be jeff schultz uh what's it like to be
1: me well it's uh i'll tell you what, what, what it's like it, it, working in the cannabis industry is amazing it's been surreal um, it's been the most re- professionally and personally rewarding experience of my life and you know, that's, that's not just me, that's anybody who's working uh, day in and day out in this industry and, and, and trying to navigate a very, very fluid situation, a very fluid industry. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, um, it's certainly an industry for people who are intellectually curious. It's a great industry for people that are uh, you know, advocates of, of the plant and you know are, are multidisciplinary when it comes to attorneys i think it's a it's an extremely rewarding field to be in as an attorney because it is multidisciplinary it touches on everything from securities law to state law to constitutional law administrative law it touches everything so it's been pretty exciting um, i'm i'm enjoying it and, and uh, having worked with navy it's been it was it was an amazing experience both because i got to work with brilliant colleagues there and continue to get to work with them, uh, which I'm extremely thankful for, and and also having you know yeah as you mentioned access to a lot of people in the industry and getting to meet a, a lot of new people over the last couple of years at very high levels has been extremely exciting and and uh, even more fun than I anticipated. I, I didn't go into this with uh, too many preconceived notions, other than I, I had a passion for it and wanted to be in the mix, and I found myself in the mix, and uh, I've, I've enjoyed it from day one.
0: Was there a moment when you decided to make the transition into cannabis, or where you knew that for sure you were go- going all in on the cannabis industry? It's a great question. the the uh, The first time that I knew
1: that this was an industry at all, really a legitimate growing industry, was probably six or seven years ago when I, I came upon my very first vape pen, and I couldn't believe I was just blown away by the possibility to, possibility of consuming cannabis in a a discreet way. Um, And uh, you know, I have my own story, which is another reason why I think this industry is just so much fun to work in. Everybody has a story for how they got in here um, and how they got into the industry. And I, you know, in 2012 had hip surgery and was advised by my surgeon that I needed my other hip replaced and that I should just wait as long as I could and try to manage the pain. And there are not many good options for anyone who's suffered from chronic pain. And uh, that eventually led me to getting my medical cannabis card as one of the, you know, the first 10000 medical cannabis card holders in the state of New York. And I was very proud of that and very excited to try what, what is of a very limited New York cannabis market uh, product-wise. And that's when I discovered this was like a real thing. And uh, several years later, um, I started to get it was at a private equity fund and we started to receive, uh, incoming unsolicited incoming presentations for investments in cannabis companies, both in the U S and Canada. And, and, and I, I was really intrigued by it. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know if this was like a real thing. I knew it was federally illegal, but it was always really exciting. Like this is obviously a very profitable business. Demand is extremely high, whether people want to admit it or not. I think that's now changed. Uh, I think the stigma is largely wearing away, but um, at some point in early 2018, I dedicated myself to getting into this industry in some form or fashion and you know, picked up the phone and started calling everyone I knew that might know someone who works in the industry so I could understand what was actually happening and whether it was something actually worth pursuing. And and uh, uh, with that, that ultimately led me to a networking event where I met Sean Stiefel And as luck would have it, it was a Q and A. And the interviewer had a family emergency, had to back out. And I was asked for some reason to step in. And I was asked if I know anything about hedge funds. And I said, absolutely. Uh, It's what I do for a living. And uh, asked me if I knew anything about cannabis. And I said, I I do as a consumer, uh, but not much more I'm interested. And I ended up spending an hour interviewing Sean. And at the end of that, conversation, um, he had mentioned that they were about to begin a search for a general counsel. And this was when I was trying to figure out where I could fit into the cannabis ecosystem. And I said, I'm guy." There's no question. So, um, that was, uh, you know, that was, that was the beginning of
0: my, my full-time earnest, uh, entrance into the industry. Wow. What a serendipitous, uh, fortuitous yeah. turn of events over there. And yeah. I just want to point out for folks who are potentially investigating a cannabis career or entrepreneurial venture, Jeff, it sounds like you started out by first going into your network, doing some diligence, looking for connections, and then you put yourself out there at an event. And as luck would have it, you, you're you given this opportunity to, to moderate a panel, and out of that came your your first big step into the cannabis profession, if you will. So yep. for, for anyone at home, you, it's, it's good to follow that blueprint of do some diligence, do some research, reach out to people, and then go get out there. And you never know what might happen. You have to get out
1: there. It's very hard to find a job on a job board somewhere and uh, sell yourself on a why you're a good fit for a job in an industry that you probably don't have any experience in if you're looking to get into the business, which is a, frankly it's something that, that employers in the industry struggle with. Do we hire someone? Um, I see this conversation, I hear this conversation very, very often, which is no matter what the role may be, do we hire someone, for example, with 20 years of CPG experience or do we hire someone who may be a little bit lacking in the traditional CPG experience, but, has been working in the cannabis industry, whether in the traditional or legacy market and now in the legal market, um, there's, there's a balancing act. And there are, there are sacrifices that have to be made when making those decisions. But I, you know, anyone trying to get into it just has to jump in with two feet and, um, and go for it. I, I remember that. That night I called my wife before, you know when I was asked to fill in, I was supposed to have dinner with like a group of 10 people. And I called my wife and I said, I think I'm gonna miss dinner are you cool with this? I think I need to do this. You know, and I explained to her what was going on. I'm like, she knew, she obviously knew um, where my head was at. And she said, you're not coming to dinner. You have to stay there and do that and, and see it through. And it was, you know, at the time, nothing more than interviewing Sean for an hour. And, uh, and, and here we are two years later, which is pretty, uh, you know, you have to take some chances. This, this industry is, uh, if you're you know conservative and, not willing to put yourself out there or take some career risks and some financial risks and some personal risks, it's probably not the right industry for you. Um, it's, and, and that's also what, again, there's a selection issue in this industry It's a, in a good way. Uh, people who have entered the space, as you know, right, there, everyone has had to take a chance. Everyone getting into this business full time is taking a chance. It's still federally illegal, so everybody wants to see that that chance is going to pay off, that the risk that they're taking is paying off for them. I think we all hope we all hope that to be the case. It's a common cause that I think
0: we all have, and it binds everyone working in this business. That's a great point. I would I would even take it a bit further that not only do you have to take a risk to get into this business, but you have to be willing to sacrifice to get into this business and to stay Correct. in this business because it's just not as stable or mature as whatever the, the mainstream alternative that you may be working in today. I certainly had to sacrifice the, the cushy Silicon Valley, Google type benefits mm-hmm. that I was very much enjoying to, to make less money at first in cannabis and with much less security but the passion and the excitement and the opportunity and the challenge of it. For me, it was, it was a call that I had to answer. So uh, you're you're in good company. (laughs) Well, thank you for that, Jeff. I'm hoping after this, uh, this interview, maybe you'll offer me a job or something. (laughs) You got it. Just kidding. Um, no pressure, no pressure. Anyway, (laughs) also, Oh, go ahead. You don't want to go to law school, do you? My parents would love it, but I, I don't know. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if I made a huge mistake in not going to law school. Because no. when I was a kid, my dad always told me, "Go to law school; you'd make a great lawyer." And I, I just the deal of law school sounded like a bad deal for me of spending all that money and three years to to do it. But who knows? It's not
1: an you know it's not an easy road. Uh, that's for sure. Law school is not not a cakewalk. And practicing is not a cakewalk. It's uh, it's it's not easy. But but again, you know, if you get to do, if you get to do it within the context of, of of something you care deeply about and are passionate about, and that's where I find myself today. It's 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 hard to call it work. It's obviously it's work. But this is about as exciting of an industry as you could possibly get into. Whether you're a lawyer, you're an investor, you're an operator, it doesn't really matter because you're getting to write get you, we are we are collectively writing writing the story. The law is not developed in this area. It's about policy and advocacy today. There are laws, but um, it is uh, you know it's it's changing every day and uh, and as I mentioned, it's cross-disciplinary. Um, there are there are legal issues that I've never had to deal with um, that come up and there are regulatory agencies that you know, that I've never had to think about that come up in this practice. And it makes it extremely dynamic and, and intellectually rewarding. Whether you're a lawyer, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing in this industry, you end up having to learn a lot about things that you probably had no idea about before. And that's true. And that's a, another, that's really my advice to anyone getting into the industry is, is you kind of have to break down the wall, all these walls and, and, and remove preconceived notions about what you think this industry is, where you think it's going, because if you are um, if you aren't in the business and you have strong conviction about some of those issues, you're probably going to struggle a little bit because uh, the likelihood that you're wrong is probably really high. And also you might be right today and you're going to be wrong tomorrow. Um, and I've found that to be the case several times in the last two years alone.
0: Yep, certainly. And Jeff, to to get a bit more personal. You've recently made a career transition. And prior to that, a few years ago, you made the transition into cannabis. And so I I have two questions that come to mind. One is, what is your superpower that has allowed you to succeed in the world of high finance, law, and now in cannabis? So that's question one. And question two is what advice or resources would you recommend to someone who's making a transition or pivot in their career, whether it's in cannabis or out of cannabis or in any direction?
1: Sure. So look, I think the transition for me, um, I'll say this,
0: I haven't moved out of
1: law and I haven't moved out of high, high finance, if you will. Um, I think, uh, what I'm doing is transitioning the skill set that I've taken from there and applying it to the cannabis industry where it, it, it's required to succeed, I think in many ways, right? High finances, uh, an interesting way to put it, right? It's, it's con- this industry is very complex from a financial perspective, investing in it, running your daily operations, very complicated because of the regulatory and legal framework in which this industry exists. It's, it's confusing, it's complicated. We don't have access to traditional banking services. We don't have access to traditional financing sources. So, largely most of the capital raised um, in this business is highly dilutive and extremely limited. It's, it's coming mostly from high net worth investors, retail investors, and then there is, uh, you know, a, a, a global scale, a very small pool of funds that are dedicated to investing in the cannabis industry. So um, solving f- complex financial problems is a challenge in this industry. These, these problems do exist. Just because the industry is nascent does not mean that the problems are simple. The problems are super complicated. Um, and yeah, how, how do you build a brand, right? It's not a finance question, but it's not traditional brand building. You can't market much at all so there are ways to build brand identity and expand your business but they often come at a very high cost or sometimes they're not available to you whatsoever so having a good understanding I think of of you know complex finance is is extremely useful it's not like it's not being used I think it's just being applied in this industry and and and, and I think part of the recipe for success and law you know, look this industry is made up of a couple groups of people it's like you have legacy operators, a lot of real estate developers and real estate investors, um, and then you have a lot of lawyers. There's tons of lawyers in this, for a reason. Um, if you cannot navigate the state and local and federal legal landscape of this industry, it'll be very difficult to succeed. Um, having an understanding of that is is critical, I think, to to succeeding in in any part of the cannabis industry, particularly for operators. Right, if you you, you have to know your way around the law which requires either being a good lawyer or, or having access to some really good lawyers and um, i'm finding that it's getting more complicated by the day so I, i'm what i'm doing is I'm taking everything i've learned in the last you know, 13 years practicing law and just taking all of that and trying to apply it and also being very open-minded uh, learning from everybody um, and and you asked the question about my superpower i think my superpower i don't have one i, I am not I am not that particularly special. Maybe that's what my superpower is that at least I uh, I can tell you that I I I recognize that, you know, I may be uh, the one-eyed man and you know and king beca- what's the phrase? Um, in, the, in the in the land of, land blind, of the, the one-eyed, blind,
0: The one-eyed man is king.
1: Correct, right? So that's kind of how I feel sometimes about some of the, you know, some of the issues that come up in this industry. Well, like, oh, I happen to know something about that obscure issue you're talking about because they dealt with it five years ago in a completely unrelated context. And let me sit back and see if that actually applies here. And not having any preconceived notion about whether I know better than somebody else about how to solve a particular problem and doing a lot more listening than I am talking, because there are a lot of people who have been working in this industry a lot longer than I have. And I I enjoy that part of it. I love uh, learning about this industry, uh, particularly when I joined Navy, Um, working with Sean and John, I sat next to both of them. In, in one room before we moved into a big office and and they're both incredibly brilliant in their own ways uh, and, and know more about this industry than most people I've encountered in, in working in the business at all. And just sitting down and I know what I know because I've learned it through osmosis and the ability to just sit down and listen to these guys talk. Sitting next to them was like putting, putting my cannabis education on steroids. I learned more than I possibly ever could have I couldn't even find or pay for the possible resources to learn about this industry anywhere else. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to be doing what I'm doing without that, without, without being sitting, without being able to sit next to these guys. So I think um, it, it's, it's answering both of those questions, but at the same time I i have done is I've, I've, I've taken a backseat and, and taken in information from everybody who's working in this industry and listened to them and hear them out. And I think uh, it's, it's done very well for me to, to learn. And I don't think that's going to stop. I love learning from people in this industry from their experience, whether it's a legal issue or it's a finance issue or an hour long conversation about whether you use, you know, LED or HPS lights. And, you know, that's a debate that's probably over, been over for a couple of years. And why are you using, you know, LEDs in, in your mom room, and you're using HPS in the grill room, whatever it is, these random things. It doesn't always directly apply to practicing law or investing, but I'm just intrigued by it. I, I'm, I'm super curious about it. And I, I love learning about it. And if I wasn't interested in learning about all these little details, I don't think, uh, you know, I think it'd be a little bit more challenging to enjoy it and to be good at it. Right. Uh, that answers.
0: Yes, answers no, that question. That's a great answer. I, I heard, I heard two things in there. One is humility. And the second was uh, a passion or love of learning, passion for or love of learning about cannabis. That's and right. I think the, you know, the humility and the, the learning go hand in hand because I, I think uh, humility is required to, to go and be a student. And I, I constantly encourage people, if you're going to get into this industry, you have to be a student of cannabis because there is so much to learn. It's impossible to learn at all. And we're constantly discovering new stuff and as you were sharing your answer it, it reminded me of a jewish proverb that says the wise man is he who learns from everyone and so yes. I, I heard a bit of that in your answer 100 percent. and i've done that
1: i've been devouring books articles everything i could get my hands on in this industry to understand it and you know one it's coming out of a genuine interest and two, it's it's coming out of the desire to 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 be effective at my job and learning. You know, how do I understand? I, I hear this phrase all the time, and and from other people in the industry, you got to skate to where the puck is going. And that's a constant challenge in this industry because the puck's flying all over the ice. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to keep you know it's it's hard to keep your eye on it, and and it's a really good it's a really good analogy. It's true, right? And I've been trying to figure out, I, I, you know, look for a long time I was just trying to find, figure out where the puck was at all, what it looked like, <laughs> let alone trying to go where, you know, skate to where it was going. And I think I, I've gotten a good handle on, on what the puck is and trying to skate to where it's going is a challenge and, and, and I enjoy I enjoy that part of it. I, I like learning about the business. Um, it, it crosses everything, right? I just published uh, an article about, the comparison to the the repeal of the 18th amendment and the end of alcohol prohibition to the current situation that we're in. And I've been, it's a a topic I've been reading about and researching for a year and not until COVID happened did I think like all the, you know, everything was lining up for the end of cannabis prohibition. And I thought to myself, there's no way that we're ever really going to truly match the situation that we were dealing with in the early thirties. And that 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 all changed right away. Um, uh, over the last couple of months, we and, and I say that because the one of the main reasons why the Eighteenth Amendment was repealed was that FDR ran on a anti-prohibition platform, and he ran during the Great Depression after the market crash in 1929, and he uh, he he sold it on a lot of levels but one of them which was obviously extremely important in 1931 32 33 was that the country was in the great in the midst of the great depression and the ability to create massive jobs uh, massive private jobs program and generate significant tax revenue through yeah at the state and federal level um was part of the push to repeal the 18th Amendment. Now here we are. I, I said to myself months ago, like we'll never be at that place where the you know where our economy is today. We'll never be able to make that argument with a straight face. It just does not resonate with the Dow at 30,000 and the unemployment at three percent. The fact that the cannabis industry employs 250,000 people and that number may quadruple if we legalize it is just not that appealing. And the tax revenue thing. Just not that appealing. The numbers just don't move the needle. However, I think that's all changed in the last 90 days, with states looking at you know honest conversations about states going bankrupt, and we're at I don't know 25 percent unemployment, whatever the number is. Like these these are real issues to that, and cannabis legalization will 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 change that. It's not going to change the course of the world, but. Um, it could have a meaningful impact on on tax revenue and job growth in this country.
0: If only there were a truly progressive candidate that ran on a green New Deal, pro cannabis, pro environment, pro people platform. Can you imagine the Green
1: New Deal being funded by cannabis excise taxes? <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, it's it, it's not out of it's certainly not out of the question. I forget the Green New Deal, but. It's very possible. By the way, it raises a really, really important point about Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who is publicly advocating or at least taking the policy position today that he is in favor of rescheduling cannabis and putting it on schedule too. I don't know for sure. I suspect he believes he's taking a moderate position by saying, I'm not going to maintain status quo, but I'm not going to just deschedule it let's just put it somewhere else on the csa and the uh controlled substances act that is just grossly misinformed policy and will will eviscerate the cannabis industry as we know it overnight it will end it and that is because schedule two drugs are like adderall and uh percocet whatever painkillers and um they need to be made uh pursuant to fda approval processes and administered and sold through pharmacies. You need to buy it at a pharmacy. They're, they are pharmaceutical drugs. And nobody in the industry is in a position for that to happen. And it will criminalize everybody's business overnight. So that needs to change. That's a risk. No one seems to really be talking about. Perhaps it's because no one believes he will actually end the industry. Cause I don't think that's what he's intending to do but that's what would happen if he followed through with this policy that he's touting.
0: It's, it's incredible to me. I, I don't want to get too far into sure. politics. I, this, and I, hey, I, I, I,
1: neither do I. That's the only thing I want to say about that. Schedule just, two is a very bad idea.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Schedule two would be terrible. And I by in no way, shape or form. Am I, am I endorsing Trump? But I just think it just, it shows how out of touch biden is if that's his yeah. cannabis policy and he's it, it, gonna leave a lot of votes on the table for that
1: yeah it's it's made me question and it's you know and i don't want to get into the politics either it's made me question whether he has a real policy person on this issue i, I yeah it would appear no but i i just don't know Any, anyone who understands anything about the industry would not be staring him in that direction
0: Unless you have a bunch of pharmaceutical money behind I, you. Well, but.
1: yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking and I stopped myself from saying. You know, well, exactly, that's, that's what exactly I'm, right. I'm
0: here for is to say the, say the, the inappropriate stuff to yeah. 10 extent Correct. <laughs> moving <Yes>. on. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you what does the cannabis investment landscape look like right now in a COVID-19 world?
1: <laughs> uh, it's a, is a vast wasteland. Um, <laughs>
0: you know, it's,
1: um, it It looks different. Um, capital is really hard to come by. Um, investors are, you know, I don't want to say shell-shocked, but I, I think everybody's shell-shocked by the great, you know, the, the, the macro situation that we're living through. But cannabis is, it's a really mixed bag. And I'm starting sort of at, a, at the 30,000 foot level as I answer your question. But we've had a mixed bag over the last 90 days. And the reason I bring this up, it's obviously relevant to what the cannabis landscape looks, the investment landscape looks like today. We have a mixed bag where a lot of companies are um, struggling. Um, this has, the situation has accelerated their woes and will, um, I think expedite the the process of corporate Darwinism that I think some people saw coming. I certainly saw coming, but admittedly uh, probably a couple of years before um, I thought it would actually happen. But um, what we've seen and what I've, what I've personally seen in the industry from day one, um, maybe it's you know because I'm a lawyer, it's, it's one of these things that just, just resonated with me. I see a lot of bad people, bad actors, and also some really bad operators who control really valuable assets. And that's a bad combination. And one day, something bad is going to come of that. And it's happened. And it was going to happen. It had already started happening. And it's just getting worse. It's going to expedite the process. This is ultimately, I think, maybe a good thing on balance, because some people who should not be operating these companies are going to get pushed off and out of the industry sooner than they would have otherwise. And, and that's that's on balance, I think, positive for the industry. And bring in, you know, a new generation of, of operators and CEOs and, and managers into this industry that uh, and, and it's also it's also transforming the way I think investors are looking at the space whereas you know maybe a year ago i think most people i can't speak for everybody but most investors a year ago a lot of people took the view if i'm going to put my money into the cannabis industry and take the risk associated with doing so i want a you know i want that 20x return i want a return that equals the risk uh, that i'm taking and things have changed there are a lot more people a lot more investors out there willing to invest in credit debt debt products uh, lend money to these companies. Some of them may be doing it for, um, you know, there may be loan to own situations there, but there are some people that are just willing to dial down the risk and lend to these companies. It's complicated. Um, but I I think we've seen people willing to take a little bit less risk to finance the industry at the, at the moment. Look, people are raising money. Deals are getting done. Um, they're slower, they're lower numbers, but the investment landscape, Still exists. It's still there. There are still plenty of really, really good companies that need funding, um, and but I think what we're now starting to see is we've added a new element of potential distress investing. Query whether we'll see capital actually deployed into that type of strategy. But I can tell you firsthand, a lot of people are talking about it, including myself. Um, I think there's also an opportunity for um, new types of approaches to investing in this industry. Namely, I think this industry, the cannabis world is ripe for a take private transaction, whether it be, you know, uh, can't really do an LBO. Um, It's a little hard to do that, but um, I think a, a a take private deal, whether it's hostile or friendly is warranted. And I say that because most cannabis companies really shouldn't be publicly traded at the moment. Um, Not, It's not shaming the companies or shaming the industry. It's really expensive to run a public company. You need to hire lawyers, right? Lawyers are expensive and um, it's complicated. You need more accountants. You need a big accounting department. You need people that understand what it's like to run a public company. That's a lot of overhead. And in addition to that, you now subject yourself as a company, a public company, to being judged on a quarter over quarter basis in your quarterly performance. We are in a super nascent industry. It's still illegal federally. So, judging the performance of any of these companies on a quarterly basis is, is rather silly when they should be judged over a much longer time horizon. So, I, you know, and, and then you have exposure to the public markets, and, and it hasn't gone very well for 12 months. We've seen most public companies trade anywhere between 50 to 90% down from their highs in, in the spring of 2019. Um, so there are some of these companies are trading at valuations that, you know, some argue are below the license values that they hold. Mm-hmm. And that creates a really unique opportunity for someone to come in and um, own enough equity in that company to perhaps wage a proxy war or, or in a friendly manner, delist the company and take a private again. And so that, that, I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, look, the landscape is alive. There's still not a lot of capital. I wish there were more and there will be eventually, but but there are still very small, very new companies on the venture side, I think that weren't funding. There are still some public companies out there that have that are heads down and kicking ass and um, worthy of investing. And there are some that are definitely going to blow up. So there will be people that take advantage of that aspect of it as well. So it's, the landscape is very interesting and it's fun. It's fun to try to find answers to some of these issues.
0: Well, thank you. That was a super... Interesting, insightful answer. I, I want to ask two questions. One is you mentioned earlier, going back to the education piece. I'm curious if there's any resources or, you know, whether it's like books or newsletters or anything like that that you recommend for someone who's just trying to stay current and in the know. If there's anything in particular that comes to mind for you, <laughs> it's just like, Twitter's are great, but you know, Twitter's a Twitter's an interesting place. Um, I don't know if I'd go to
1: Twitter. I mean, you might not get the truth on everything, but um, there's a lot of chatter on Twitter about the cannabis industry. But there are also some really, really intelligent people to follow. So I think it takes a little bit of digging, but if you follow the right people in the cannabis industry, they are being, you know, they are vocal, and it, you can you can don't need to buy their opinions and their views and, and their voices. Um, you can just go to Twitter. But I've always read, um, I I read new cannabis ventures uh, every day, um, and they're not the only ones. There are other media sources out there. There's a lot of information now available online. I read a a report called Treatise on the Cannabis Industry uh, by David Wenger, who's a good friend and a colleague of mine, super, super bright attorney. Um, that was the first thing I read. It's, it's, uh, I believe he wrote it in 2018, 17 or 18. That was a phenomenal, um, general introductory. Uh, I don't know how long it was, maybe a hundred page document on breaking down really like what the cannabis industry is. Um, I I think that was good. It's a little, it is a little bit stale uh, but it's still, I think, absolutely worth reading. Um, and I think you just, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a good answer for you. But I'm like, where am I getting this information from? Where would I start? I don't even remember at this point. I remember reading <laughs> David Wenger's, like, he, uh, his uh, his um, his book on this, and it was amazing. I think you can find a lot of information online by literally Googling it. I know that's, like, such a silly answer. But um, there's there is now, and I remember this. When I started looking, I'm like, I couldn't find anything. I, I, it was very there was very little information and one thing I have definitely noticed in my time in the industry is that media resources available to teach you about the basics of how this industry work are available all over the place now and that sort of developed in the last two years so there are um, there are plenty of places to go now. I think even some law firm websites will help but um, and then maybe even going to some of the public companies looking at their 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 k's and Qs uh, that work in this industry and Maybe that's a bit of a wonky way to go about it. I'm a lawyer. So if you're a lawyer and an investor that or anyone who can, you know, uh, not fall asleep while reading K's and Q's, I'd recommend going looking at some of maybe the, the MSOs and understanding how the multi-state operator model works. Um, I'm not saying it is the end all be all or that it's even a sustainable business model perhaps over 10 years, but it is a really good um, way to learn detailed information about how the, these, you know, how the biggest companies in the industry operate today.
0: Excellent. And I will take this opportunity to plug my book, the cannabis business book, which is available on amazon.com. And I'm going to ask you actually a question from one of my readers. This is from Cleo in Oakland who asked as a first time entrepreneur looking to raise capital, how does one supplement for a proven track record would it be a great team and mentors or a great business plan or pitch how so basically for the first time entrepreneurs how can they mm-hmm. uh you know appear credible and and investable um to appear credible and
1: investable you have to be credible and investable and <laughs> uh you know <laughs> right. Perception is reality, but you're right. Uh, It's the other way around as well. Um, I I think um, you have to be honest and it will not buy anyone credibility. You will not get credibility by promising people the moon and the stars and being realistic about your business plan and definitely being realistic about where your soft spots are and uh, where your blind spots are and having answers to the questions about those blind spots and how will you go about managing those kinds of risks and, 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 and being honest with people, you know, you don't need to tell everybody everything. It's still a sales pitch when you're talking about raising money from people, you you, know, you don't need to give away like all your dirty little secrets, but you have to be very honest with them. You have to tell people what they need to know in order to make an informed decision about investing with you. Um, and you need to convey confidence that their money is safe with you, right? Are you a steward of capital? Are you a good steward of capital? Ultimately, that's what this comes down to, right? Can I trust you with my money? And if I can't trust you with my money, the conversation ends right there. It doesn't matter what your business plan is. But if you can convey that you are a good steward of capital um, and you do have a sound business plan,
0: uh, that's your only shot uh, absent a track record. And that's almost exactly what I say in my book. So I love that you backed me up there. So there you go. Jeff, I want to shift into the coaching part. Sure. All right, cool. First of all, before we do coaching, I I was delighted to hear when we were speaking earlier before the the recording that you've been working with an executive coach for a number of years. So I'm curious if you can share anything about that situation and and the value you've gotten out of that.
1: Sure. It's been amazing. I work with a, a phenomenal executive coach. I think it's going on four years or so uh, around that. I mean, look, she's, she's, she's kind of my therapist as well, right? I mentioned that. Earlier. She's, she's just great. She's like a good life coach, but a phenomenal executive coach. And um, I think the greatest value that she's provided is a few things, right? It's, it's been a great experience to understand um, how to interact with other people. I know that sounds very simple, and it may actually imply that like I don't know how to do that. But everybody can benefit from that. Everybody can benefit from it. I think that's the first lesson I learned was everyone can benefit from it, whether people want to or not. Just break down the ego, be accepting of the possibility that you can improve as a, as, a, as a person, as an adult, as a colleague, as a professional. Uh, if you can't do that, coaches are not worth the time and money. But if you are open to the idea of improving yourself as a person, Coaches are amazing. Uh, they can be great. So I've I've had a, by and large, just phenomenally positive, uh, personal and professional experience working with with an executive coach.
0: Fantastic. That's music to my ears. And also, I I now feel a little bit of anxiety that you know I have to kind of live up to the performance you're used to with this woman that you've been working with and are very satisfied with for many years and I'm excited for the challenge <laughs> and the opportunity go for it i'll just kick it off with jeff what's what's your biggest professional challenge right now it's a good question i think it's um
1: you know transitioning into a new role and um, with lots of opportunities, both within the private practice of law and, and, and other ventures that, um, uh, you know, starting to work on at the moment, um, is staying focused. I think my biggest challenge is, is really, um, picking my lanes and feeling confident that I picked the right lanes, right? Um, this industry allows a lot of people to do a lot of different things, pursue a lot of different passions get involved in this industry in a lot of different ways. And the question is, uh, for me, like my biggest challenge, I think, is how do I allocate my time appropriately in a way where um, I'm constantly meeting expectations with colleagues and clients and also meeting my own expectations and uh, you know, just doing the best I can on a daily basis. And and it's there's always so much going on. And the, the cannabis industry has gotten to the point today where it's impossible not to be completely inundated with data and information and updates and staying on top of all that, particularly where that information is still very fragmented. It's, it's, um, staying focused, staying in my lane, um, and pursuing opportunities that I want to pursue, but are also the right things for me to pursue, whether they be clients and helping clients
0: or something else. Got it. So I'm hearing, Really staying focused and allocating your time in a way that you feel is appropriate and allows you to meet and exceed expectations with colleagues, clients, and with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. So I, and I am nodding along here because I have very much the same challenge and, you know, I, I, I've write about this in the book as well, where there's so many opportunities in cannabis and so much information and so much happening and changing all the time that really focusing and knowing your one thing and being, you know, the best in whatever your one thing is, is critical for long-term success. But uh, let me ask you this, Jeff, how do you know when you are or aren't, Allocating your focus or time appropriately. How do I know when I am or when I'm not? Um, yeah.
1: You know, I think that's that's just sort of a touch and feel kind of thing. I know when I'm, uh, you know, I, I usually know when I'm doing doing the doing the right thing, and I am focused on the right thing at that time. I mean, look, it's it's uh, it's when I'm not following my schedule. I keep a very tight schedule. Um, I, I'm meticulous about. Keeping a calendar and making sure that I I stay on point because it's very easy to just Wander off in a different direction um, With your attention and and your work and reading, you know, you can you can go into There are so many little wormholes that you can crawl into in, in the cannabis industry researching an issue or a company or you know talking about a new idea is that really what I should be spending my time doing right now? Right? I don't ask myself that question very often because I keep my, I keep a really, really tight detailed
0: calendar and it, it generally works. Got it. And what does that feel like for you when you're keeping to the calendar and you're staying on schedule and you know that you're focusing appropriately?
1: I feel productive, which I think most humans take some sort of take some joy in that. I love being productive. Um, it also feels like the days fly by, right? It's four thirty today. I do not know what happened in my day. I know exactly what I've been doing, but um, I think when you have a a full full schedule and you have uh, you have to prioritize what you need to do today. Um, what what I, you know, I look at like what can I do today? What do I need to do tonight? And what do I do, need to do tomorrow when I wake up in the morning? Because before you know it, it's, it's going to be the next day. And it's been that way for me for many years. But but uh, the last two years have been no exception to that. I, you know, it's around It's nine o'clock. I'm still sitting at my desk in my office. Like, what just happened? Where'd my day go? And it's because I kept that schedule and I'm never sitting around twiddling my thumbs. There is always something to do. And I usually know what that is before I do it because I try to keep that schedule. And uh, when
0: you do that, it just, the days the days fly by it's a beautiful way to work where you know you, you can get lost in it have the flow state and the days fly by so it's a good feeling yeah so i'm, I'm wondering how big a challenge this actually is for you it sounds like you, you do a pretty good job with it well that it goes
1: back to the to my coach <laughs> right now um, and it, it also, it, it's, it's lar- it's also somewhat of a function of having to do that by, by nature of the profession. I started my career in private practice and, you know, big law firms and where you have to track as we do now, you have to track all of your time. I have to track, um, every 10th of an hour. And if you get into that practice early in your career, it gets, it's pretty easy. It's second nature to, have to maintain a schedule and then look at look at the end of the day and say what did I actually accomplish? It can be disappointing if I haven't done it. And I've had days, right? You just I got totally carried away with an issue and maybe I needed to for a client or um, maybe I just got really really involved in a particular problem um, or
0: an issue and found that it ate up too much of my day and that's that can be disappointing. So I'm hearing something really important. Here that I, I want to take a, a pause from the coaching for a second and, and maybe use this as a teaching moment for the listeners. Which is that habit of tracking your time, planning your time, and reviewing how you spent your time is so absolutely critical if you want to have any kind of success, especially as an entrepreneur when you're self-directed and you know if you don't have a coach, then you're accountable. Yeah, you have to be accountable for your own time without some external force helping to keep you accountable for that, then, Oh boy, yeah. you better develop that habit of, of, uh, knowing exactly where the hours go. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I wouldn't
1: recommend that anybody track their time the way that lawyers do. There's, there's, there's something uniquely painful about that. <laughs> but <laughs> if you have to do it for professional reasons, it's great. But I do believe in, 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 in keeping a tight schedule and, You know, there's also something, I think uh, there's something very healthy emotionally about waking up and and having some idea of what it is that you're going to do that day. Or you have a plan, you know, a plan, like it's hard to roll out of bed, you know, whatever. Like, I know what my plan is. I know what my day is going to look like when it starts. And I read about a lot of people who... Uh, there are very few very successful professionals, I think, they go out and just say, you know what, I'm going to wake up today and I'm just going to see what happens. <laughs> That's not the way that they work. Right, right,
0: right. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, and I'm going back into interview mode a little bit, I'm curious, because morning routine is one of these super important things, I'm curious if you have like a very consistent first thing you do every day or something like that. Well, there's the COVID answer. And then there's like the rest of my life
1: answer. They, they're, they're not too different. I'll give you the, the today's answer. The, 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 lockdown answer is um, I do something that I admittedly shouldn't do and wish I didn't, which is the first thing I do in the morning after I you know, talk to my wife is I pick up my phone and I check my email. I check my text messages. I check the weather and then I get out of bed. Um, I wish I'd, didn't do that. But I think that's, again, that's out of, uh, you know, it's a neuroses that's out of habit of having, um, being in a client service business. I need to know what happened while I was sleeping. Did something, does someone need me? Um, is it my boss or is it a client? Like, oh, is there an email? Is there some bomb waiting in my inbox that I need to see? And, um, it's always the first thing I do. It's probably better that I, that, that you don't do that. I wish I didn't, but I have right. Other than that, I, right now I have definitely a very clear morning routine, which is I, I wake up my children, I you know help them get dressed and brush their teeth, and I make them breakfast every morning right now. And then I either go right to work or I go work out and work out later or um, in some order like that. But um, I get to spend some really good time with my kids early in the morning. And anyone who has small children knows that it's much more uh, enjoyable to spend time with them early in the morning than it is right before they go to bed. <laughs> Um, they, the witching hour is not as much fun. Um, but no, I, th- I think it's extremely important to have some work-life balance and, um, spend quality time with my kids. And it's been a great opportunity, uh, over the last couple of months to not have to commute. It saves me almost two hours a day, uh, that I get to spend with my kids.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that you have that opportunity and are enjoying it. And I'm also—I feel like you actually gave me something that we can work with here, and in a more in a more productive way. Which is, so I'm just going to test it out. Which is, you know, I heard you say with some gusto that you wish you didn't check the phone in the morning the way that you do. And so I'm wondering how serious is that wish and you know, what would you wish you were doing instead of checking that phone? <laughs> well, the wish obviously is not that serious because
1: um, I haven't done it, right? I haven't uh, stopped looking at my phone. I haven't stopped that habit. So I have to But it's probably not as much of a priority as it, as it should be to me. But I know, I know it's like one of those things, like you know you do it, it's a bad habit, and you just keep doing it, it's a bad habit. I wish I didn't. I wish I spent the first 15 minutes of my day meditating. Uh, ah. I just, I'm like, I, one of these days, maybe I'll get around to meditating on the uh, possibility of meditating in the morning. <laughs> uh, but I, I wish I spent the first 15 minutes of my day um, quietly meditating.
0: Well, now you're in trouble, Jeff. <laughs> and I say that because I have a very, <laughs> very successful track record of helping Basically, all of my clients that I've worked with for any any longer than one quarter have all built daily meditation (laughs) practices. There you go. So I I I want to challenge you and ask you, you know, what's stopping you from the meditation, the morning meditation, you know, five minutes, ten minutes. From what I've read, even five to, five to ten minutes is sufficient for, uh, you know, cognitive boost and for a stronger, healthier brain. So what's stopping you? Oh, I don't know.
1: It must be. It just, I don't know. I don't know. I just haven't done it. I should. Um, I'll do it tomorrow morning. and I will report back to you. And I assume it's going to go well and I'll just keep doing it. But I just have to do it. Um, I wish it didn't. It's just that it's, it's a habit, right? It's uh, second nature, right? It's sad, but it is what it is. right? Like, we all pick up our phones.
0: Um, it, it, it's uh, so, so I have to challenge you there. This is the point. Here's the real sticking point is there's a part of you that has a judgment that it's bad that you're checking the phone. Yeah. And yeah. there's another part of you that thinks this isn't bad. This is, I'm just doing my job. And, yeah. and I, so I would challenge you to, either I, I don't even know if it's worth exploring the judgment or, or that it's bad or just getting rid of it altogether. Cause it's not that bad. I, I don't think in, in, oh, there are worse transgressions
1: in life. Sure. Right.
0: Sure. And, and so I, that's just one thing I wanted to, to reflect to you is that, you know, there's a little contradiction there. And <laughs> yeah, um, the, the bigger thing I, I'm going to offer you this, I don't know. This is kind of the same answer you gave me of why you're not doing it. and. Uh, for the meditation that is. And w- w- what I'm hearing is it's just not part of your schedule. You know, you cool. you stick to your schedule. You're good about that. It's just not on the schedule. So it doesn't happen.
1: That's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. If I had it in my schedule, I probably would do it because so I get sure. a tremendous amount of satisfaction on of crossing something off my list.
0: Right. And so My, my invitation to you, and I heard you say you would do it tomorrow, but I'm going to challenge you. That's not good enough for me. I I mean, I, I, I I would challenge you to commit to doing it every day for, you know, I'm all about the smart goal, which is, you know, every day for X minutes for seven days straight. Yeah.
1: That's That's, achievable.
0: You set the bar low enough. I think I could do that. How many minutes?
1: I could do ten. There's a, there's always the lingering fear in the back of my head. Like it's not a fear, but the reality that one of my children, my kids are gonna, they walk in. Um, that I could always solve that by waking up earlier. But um, they come in, you know they wake up. They'll wake up before me sometimes, and uh, they just pop in, which is not that big. You know that's not a bad thing. I there's nothing better. But um, I think ten minutes is a safe amount of time where I could uh, do that without interruption.
0: Great. 10 minutes. And so I'm hearing a commitment for 10 minutes every morning for seven days. You got it. I will make that commitment to you. And report back in a week or I I will check up on you in a week. Okay. (laughs) Um, And, and I heard you say that you, you believe you'd get a lot of satisfaction from crossing this off the list and adding this to your schedule. Is that fair? Is that right? Yeah, I think I love crossing things off my to-do list. And what do you think? Tell me a little more about what you would get out of building this into your schedule. Let's say we're talking a year from now and you're like, hey, Mike, remember that time I was on your podcast and, and then you know, you'd never believe it, but I've been meditating for every morning or every day for a year now. What do you think that would do for you?
1: You know, that that's the beauty of the issue. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's why I haven't done it.
0: No, I, I don't actually
1: know. I, uh, I'm i curious to find out. Um, I've had enough people recommend that generally that it sounds like uh, enough, you know, enough people that uh, I respect that it sounds like a really, really good idea. But I can't tell you how it's going to impact me until I try it. Sounds like it's a good idea. But that's that's uh, something I look forward to reporting back on.
0: I appreciate that. I'm going to push you just a little bit because I'm curious if you have any idea what if you let's say and there's no wrong answer. What might be? What's the best possible outcome, like that you can imagine? Imagine the highest possible ROI on this activity of meditating daily for a few minutes. What, What do you imagine that might be?
1: I think, uh, look, I think I, I would expect it to probably provide me with a little bit more mental clarity, perhaps some more energy and generally just be happier in the morning starting my day. I'm a pretty happy person by nature, but you um, can always be happier. I think it's probably a great way to start your day focused with energy and in a good mood. I, I, I suspect that's what will be the, uh, the outcome. Um, what's what? What's that worth to who you, Jeff? Who wouldn't want that, right? Right, right, right. Does no, well, shaming mean that's not doing it? I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> I feel bad already that I don't do this, and I know I should. Now, I, now you're talking me into it. I, I, now I feel like I need to do it.
0: That's the the hope is that you know I'm trying to get more more energy from you into the commitment by seeing more of the value and the upside of the investment of the time. Because if if you're not clear on why you're doing it or, you know, the reward, then it's, you're not going to be so inspired to do it. Right. Correct. Awesome. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you the, the, my final question, which is what was the most insightful or valuable part of our conversation today?
1: Yeah, I think we just—I think we just did it. I think we just touched on it, which is I probably should be doing something that takes a very little time in my day that could have a outsized positive impact on me. Right, so that would be it. Um, I think I should go do it now. You've, now, now I've said it in a public forum, so uh, now I, I definitely have to try it. Otherwise, I'm, uh,
0: you know. I'm, uh, I'm full of it. <laughs> that's right. And all, all, all my listeners, I invite you to publicly shame Jeff if he doesn't <laughs> meditate. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding about that. But Jeff, I'm going to, first of all, I, I'm super enthused that this is where we ended up. I hadn't, you know, of course, I had no idea where, how this would go. And that's part of the fun for me of coaching is I never know how it's going to go. And nice. so thank you for being vulnerable and open to the experience.
1: Thank you for having me. I really, I appreciate the, uh, the conversation and consider you a friend and, you know, very grateful for everything you do for the industry. And, um, it's always fun talking to you. This is good stuff. I did want to mention, by the way, the one thing I forgot to mention about my executive coach, she recommended I read a book that I would recommend to literally everybody I know
0: called the four agreements. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I'm
1: sure you've read it, right? It's you sound like you've read it Um, yes yes i've gifted it
0: and recommended it to clients as well so but go on go on i'm just gonna say the book is just absolutely amazing
1: um and so simple uh and and therefore very elegant this is just a great book um that i think everybody could benefit from you're right that's it's a great it's a great gift it's a great book to gift yourself or anybody else
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I'm so glad you brought that up and I will link to that in the show notes. And before I let you go, I just want to tell you uh, very quickly about my personal experience with meditation and hopefully it'll stoke that fire even more, which is it's a game changer. It's been a game changer for me and it's something that it's just like working out in some ways where it it compounds. And the difference it's very difficult to describe, but I've felt a very tangible difference of how my brain operates. And mm-hmm. you know, especially in terms of just I would kind of describe it as like the 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 processing power or or the ability to process multiple things at once without even thinking about it just increases. Mm-hmm. So I would say it, it's definitely a game changer in terms of, I feel like it makes my brain stronger and it also allows me to deal with stress much more, I don't want to say easily, but much more cleanly. And in the, if you're a cannabis entrepreneur, there will be no shortage of stress. And, and so I'm going to invite you now, this is the icing (laughs) on the cake. This is the last one, I I swear, which is, I'm going to invite you because we missed the morning today. You know, I'm going to invite you to take the next 10 minutes to meditate and start, start today. Don't wait till tomorrow. (laughs) That's, that's the last, uh, you know, and hopefully you don't hate me for it, for all the pushing and the, you know, the. Pseudo guilting, but
1: uh <laughs> no, it's it's all
0: all with uh, the right intention. I think that's a good idea. Awesome, I'll, well, I'll do I will, it. I will check in with you in a week. And Jeff, <sighs> I, again, I appreciate the 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 time and that you worked me into your schedule and that we had the opportunity to catch up and to to hopefully give some listeners that immersive education experience that you described having with with sean and co you know back in that office hopefully they can get that by listening to to us chop it up a bit
1: i hope so too i hope so too i appreciate uh you having me and it's been uh it's been phenomenal and uh love talking to you anyway
0: awesome thank you buddy Mike Z is high. Mike Z is high. Mike Z is the cannabis business coach. i Mike Z is high. Mike Z is high. Mike Z is the is cannabis business coach.